Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creative... Then the next craft, block further down there was the Royal, then the Prince Edward was right opposite the Royal, then the Savoy. And we used to get fined if you were late for the half hour and fined for misbehaving on stage. Just for God's sake, do it better. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you can say. But when you've gone through that, you do get a lot of ego. And you go out there knowing that the one thing that's different every time is that audience. I didn't wake up until... I was in emergency. I was around the uh, world of actors as a child. Crawfords were needing a casting assistant. No business plan, no concept, no training. It's not something you could do now. Went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. I never went back to school again. <laughs> Thank you. I've enjoyed being here talking about my favourite subject. Ego in check, me. <laughs> yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello everyone, Peter Eyes here, sitting in wonder as I contemplate 300 episodes of the Stages podcast. Commencing the show in 2018, I charged forth and completed 24 episodes in the first year. I've savoured each time that we've reached a century mark, and here we are for the third time. I'm absolutely delighted that the podcast has continued to surge forth and has developed a loyal and supportive listenership. It's your kind and enthusiastic words that have kept me going and creating this wonderful archive of conversations with a cast of such extraordinary, thrilling, iconic and brilliant artists and creatives. Aren't our lives richer for their vital and essential work, the making and delivery of art? People suggest to me that I'll be running out of people to interview. Never. There are still many of our elders to record, as well as the bright new talents infusing stages across all disciplines. Acting, opera, dance, ballet, musical theatre, media, variety, etc., etc. Stages isn't going anywhere for quite a while yet. And I trust that you'll stick along for the ride. So thank you, dear listener. I know that many of you have been with me since those first few episodes. And if you've recently discovered the podcast, thank you and welcome. Please tell your friends and colleagues, the more we share these stories, the longer our magnificent arts heritage survives. I've spent some time contemplating how I would like to celebrate the 300th episode. It seems essential that we do something that royally celebrates this business we call show. Examining our history, there are many greats who I will never be able to access. But through six degrees of separation, we can. Stages can do better than that. What about two degrees of separation? To celebrate 300, we're going to remember one of the greatest stars of stage and screen that Australia has produced, Miss Gloria Dawn. And we're doing it with her daughter, Donna Lee. Gloria Dawn was born into a family of variety performers. Baby Gloria made her stage debut as part of the family act when only 14 days old. By the age of 10, she was honing her craft working with other talented youngsters in the Tivoli Gang. In 1941, when she was 12, her mother launched her as an adult sabrette on the Tivoli stage, where she worked alongside variety greats such as George Wallace, Roy Reen and Queenie Paul. Her career encompassed work in variety, radio, review, television, film, musical theatre and legitimate drama. 
She gave iconic performances in a host of productions that are recalled vividly today from folk who were fortunate enough to see Gloria Dawn in full flight. Once Upon a Mattress, The Sentimental Bloke, A Hard God, The Slaughter of St Teresa's Day, Mother Courage, The Thripney Opera, and a role she was born to play, that of Mama Rose in a celebrated production of Gypsy. Her acting range and the theatrical forms she occupied were vast. There'll never be another talent like Gloria Dawn. How I wish I had seen her. But fortunately, vivid memories of her stellar career are part of the wonderful legacy she leaves with the folk who witnessed this major talent in full flight. Love the way they're reviving old musical comedies and old songs. I most certainly do. Now there is a show up here. I'm terribly. There's a show in town at the moment that is. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I get you? Excuse me. Haven't you got a seat? Yes, but I haven't made up my mind where I'm going to put it. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> well, you see, these songs that Excuse I like. Excuse me. What is it, dear? Well, I've come along here to see a TV show. Yes, well, you're in the right place. <laughs> well, is there anything going on behind that curtain? No, there's nothing going on behind the curtain. No, and there's not too much going on in front of it either. <laughs> I like singing old songs. Uh, uh, look, pardon me. How did you get in here? Oh, oh just go down and tell her how... No, I you won't come down, no, dear. Just stay up there if you don't... Oh, I'm so... All right, then. Well, how did you get in here? Well, I came in on my brother's pass. Oh, well, if you're not very careful, you'll go out on your own. <laughs> Look, take a seat. This next song that I would like to present... Oh, just sit down, will you? Thank you, Thomas. I once had a gown. It was almost new. The daintiest thing, it was sweet Alice Blue With little forget-me-nots placed here and there And when I had it all
to very proudly introduce you to my daughter. Donnelly, welcome back to Stages. We haven't seen you since the first year of the podcast where you were one of our guests. And now you're into your how many years? Well, today is actually the 300th episode. Oh, how fabulous. And I'm the 300th episode. 300th episode. Oh, and how um fabulous. It's a, it's a li- delight, as I say, to have you back. But also a delight to, in this episode, we're going to celebrate the, the life and career of your wonderful mother, Gloria Dawn. That's fantastic. Thank you for keeping her name alive for me. I, I think uh, listeners are in for a, a great treat as we um, listen to sound bites of, of Gloria and, of course, traverse the, the illustrious career that she had, not only in musicals, but also in in terrific straight drama, whole selection. I know that was a big shock to to us all. Uh, that, um, that not only did she change from variety and musicals, but went not into just stepping her toes s- s- softly into the water, but she went full head in, straight in, into those incredible plays that were very very. Um, full on. I mean, very far removed from singing um, um, Sitting on Top of the World or something like that. In my research, I came across a lovely paragraph that, that, that cited Gloria's overall success as a serious actress seems to have left her somewhat bewildered since she's grown up thinking of herself as a variety performer rather than a straight actress. So funny because the very first straight play that I saw her do, she had been doing a few of them and I hadn't seen them because I was working overseas myself at the time. And I came back and I saw her in this play called A Hard God. With Peter Kanar. Peter Kanar mm. had written that play. And uh, she played Aggie, the, the mother, in, in the full, uh, full, very full, full on Irish Catholic family. But she actually wasn't a Catholic. She married. She was a non-Catholic, but married into a full-on Catholic family. Anyway, um, I saw her in that play, and for me, it was a, a bit of a shock because I'd never seen her do anything other than something that had a song in it. And um, it was so funny for her to transfer into that because the very last scene of the play is a very, very sad scene where she's praying a prayer that she's been taught by the Catholic family. Uh, she's praying and um, she's hoping that the prayers will be answered, that her husband won't be taken from her. And that's how the play ends. And they do a slow, a slow fade, fade light, yeah. down to a full-on blackout as she's praying. And it's a very, very sad. And it's a beautiful play, actually. And I, I was... I was 
enthralled at, at, at watching this play and then up came the lights and there she was smiling, taking her bow <laughs> and she was beaming with the biggest smile you'd ever seen because that's what you do when you take a bow and the playwright said to her after that night, she said, Gloria, you, you don't understand, you, you've taken these people to a place that's very, very sad and very, very moving and when the lights come up, will you please not smile in your curtain call? So that was one thing she had to learn when she transferred from musicals and variety into the straight world. I think she cites Peter Canar as one of the, the reasons that she got into um, straight drama and dramatic roles. Well, he believed in her very much. He, I don't know what the play was that he actually wrote for her. But she was in uh, Slaughter on Saint Teresa's yep. Day. She had done that for him, um, and he wanted to see her in a hard god. And um, he had many more things that he was ready to write, particularly for her. So um, yes, um, yeah, we have to we have to thank Peter Canar for putting her into the the true acting legitimate world of acting theatres, plays. Did she embrace Catholicism after she married? She was all, always a Catholic, though I was saying that the... the oh, the, the play. The, the right. play okay. that, well, yep. yeah, no, she was always um, uh, uh, very full-on with her Catholicism. In fact, we travelled a lot as kids with mum and dad, and... Uh, her school that she went to for a lot of time, I, I don't know whether it was throughout her whole schooling, but uh, for a lot of her schooling she went to Sacred Heart, Darlinghurst. And um, any time we came back to Sydney and we had to be put into a school in Sydney, we were always put into Sacred Heart, Darlinghurst. And would you believe the same sister, the same nun, Sister Frances, she was still there each time we came back. And um, she'd followed Mum through her career right to the end actually I remember coming in to visit my mum in hospital one day and there was this nun sitting there crocheting a blanket that I still have to this day and uh, it was Sister Frances who came to the hospital <laughs> to visit mum there and um, saying that she was crocheting a, a rug for her and every stitch was a stitch of love so um, yeah so uh, that was the continuation of Staying in that um, that family of the Catholic family and the Catholic Sister Francis, and hoping that Sister Francis would pass it all on to us. Gloria went on to make a, a monumental um, impression on audiences uh, in Mother Courage uh, at the Melbourne Theatre Company, stepping into the role without any knowledge, having never read a play by by Bertolt Brecht. And when first approached to take the role. Had merely thought, oh, another play, it must mean they like the other one. <laughs> but she confided in you that, that she'd been terrified of this role. I know, that was incredible that she told me that because um, I'd never heard her say anything like that at all. She was a very confident performer in, in anything that I saw her do, but she did admit to me that um, this one was really making her a little bit apprehensive, but... She managed to overcome that somehow and, and made a, a big impression. Well, I think that in rehearsal she discovered that um, Brecht uses a, a good deal of humour and a lighter side in his writing. So obviously her professionalism um, took over uh, the theatrical mystique and um, she went on to be, have a much applauded Mother Courage. Oh, I've often hear people 
uh, that's a long time ago. It's I don't know, probably forty-eight years ago or something. Is that early seventies or? Yes. Yeah. So um, people still come up to me when they find out that I'm her daughter. Out of nowhere, they just they say, "Oh, I saw her do Mother Courage, and it was absolutely marvelous." So she did make a bit of an impression with it. I must admit. She did a succession of maternal roles, didn't she? Mother Courage, Mama Rose, and yes, and Mama to Donna. Yeah, Mother to Donna. That's right. She was born Gloria Dawn Evans in Port Melbourne in nineteen twenty nine. That's it. So she'd be about if she was here today, she'd be ninety three. Yep. But from a long line of performers, her, her father was a ventriloquist, magician, a paper tearer, escapologist. So what? You used to be locked up and. Mm. And get out of the trunks and get out of the boxes and all that sort of stuff, yes. It was quite eccentric, my mum's dad, my grandfather. William Evans. William Evans, yes. Yeah, yeah. Billy Billy Evans, or, or better known as the paper terror, because that was another one of his, his uh, abilities. He was fantastic at uh, sleight of hand, magic tricks, and also tearing paper, which was, it's a very old-fashioned form of entertainment. Nobody... Nobody probably knows what I'm talking about. I suppose it's the closest thing to people that blow balloons up and make animals out of balloons. Well, he would um, he would tear newspaper up and turn them into dancing dolls or a Christmas tree or a doily or yeah, he was he was a funny little character, the old paper terror. So was his stage name Billy Andros? Billy Andros. Yes. So where did that come from? Well, they um in that era, you will notice that everybody. Uh, who has a, a family name? Never, it never seems to be there, really, because in that era, you you had to you created a stage name, you know. And um, I look at it myself. I, I see that um, I know that that was such and such as brother, or that was his child, or something. Nothing to be, the name's not there. The family name's not there, but the names that do appear, like Billy Andros is a fabulous stage name as opposed to William, William Evans. Evans. <laughs> That's it. Mm. <laughs> well, y- your grandmother had a fabulous name too, Zilla. Mm. Zilla Weatherly. Zilla Weatherly. Now, she'd come from an act of her sisters and, and um, her mother was involved as well. Yes, her mother and father. Actually, they they had um, a, a, came from a little s- circus, circus that they travelled around Australia and, I believe, uh, over there in... In Indonesia, and and because you know, we're going back a long time now, Peter. This is this is before television and before all those sort of things that have appeared now in in our world today. But um, it was uh, they had to be able to do everything, which they did. They were singers, dancers, musicians, horseback riders, contortionists. Well, prior to this uh, recording, this conversation, we've had the most wonderful couple of hours looking through. Um, your, well, I called it the Gloria Box. Yeah. yeah it's not the Gloria Box. Um, of, of wonderful um, nostalgia photographs and advertisements uh, of not only Gloria, but, but her um, mother. mother and father and, and, and grandparents. And um, talking about the, the Weatherly sisters, there was Zelda, who was a male impersonator and a character actress. Torts <laughs> Weatherly was a soubrette and did songs with the ukulele. Um, and the Weatherly sisters. Uh, had a specialty jazz contortion act. You had to, and a nice wardrobe, it says. Plenty of material. 
<laughs> um, it's wonderful. And I'm going to share some of these photographs and um, advertisements on our social pages for stages so the listener can, can have a look at what we're it, talking about. It's, it is. It's gorgeous to see it and, and um, um, how basic it was and how, uh, how they made a living out of, out of entertaining. I think it's fantastic. Well, there's an ad here for the Memorial Hall in Church Street, Richmond, on Monday night, October 16, a night of vaudeville, starring Zilla Weatherly. See her burnt alive. What was that about? <laughs> well, I wasn't there at the time, but I do know that she was not only burnt alive, she was a snake woman. I have seen photos of her where she was the lady on ice. So they, they were very inventive in their uh, the way that they approached things and the way that they could find an act out of the strangest things. Also, you'll see that um, when she was being burnt alive, uh, at some stage of the game, baby Gloria came into the act uh, with an old-fashioned novelty that she did. I don't know what the old-fashioned novelty was. So your mother, Gloria, was was appearing from on stage from the time she could walk and Mm. talk, I guess. Yes, that's right. But that's what a lot of those families, those vaudevillian families did. It was a family business. It was. Mm. It was a family business, yes. Old Man River, that old man river, he don't say nothing, but he must know something. He just keeps rolling. He keeps on.
Did, did Gloria have much of a school life growing up? Well, um, as I've mentioned, Sister Frances, Sister Frances was very kind to my mum all, all her life. As I say, there she was in hospital visiting her. Um, because when mum was a child, she did work at the Tivoli in the evening. There was actually a whole group of kids called the Tivoli Gang, and they would work of a night in the shows and mum would arrive at school very tired the next day and sister Frances suggested that it probably would be the time for Gloria to leave school now because it looked like that was going to be her life the rest of her life she was going to be a performer and she suggested that it would probably be a, a good idea that she did leave this is what I've been told yeah and um, that's when, when Mum was at the age of 13. Wow. And, and she became an adult soubrette. Yes. Well, m- my Mum's mother, Zilla, had a little bit of the, uh, the Mama Rose in her, as we all know. That's the quintessential role that everyone wants to play when you, you, you want to tell the story of show business. And Mama Rose was quite a, a, an over-the-top, um, showbiz mother wasn't she uh, <laughs> and I think that Zilla took on that persona herself when mum left school and um, decided to change the colour of my mother's hair and there's a lot a lot of similarities that pop up in the show Gypsy all about those that mama Rose and, and my grandmother Zilla I hope you don't mind me saying that, Zilla. <laughs> Zilla, after she stopped performing, became um, she worked in wardrobes. Wardrobe. Didn't she? she was at the ABC for a lot of time, a, a few years, uh, the wardrobe mistress there. And um, yes, she she found she was very talented actually with her um, creative work in costumes and things, and would know you know if you had to have the right epaulets on the uniform and the right medals and things. She she was pretty cluey with all that she made that her her business to know all of that but um, at one stage when uh, Catherine Hepburn came out to Australia she was her dresser and and uh, the wardrobe mistress Uh, I suppose when I hear the stories of Zilla with Catherine Hepburn with the old tote when they came out here to Australia um, she sort of became more of a confidant for, for Catherine Hepburn Catherine thought she was rather hysterical actually she thought she was a bit eccentric as well you told me a funny story about i know dropping something in the dressing room i've been told that this is why Catherine thought she was quite um quite eccentric was she dropped something on the floor and zilla picked it up and when uh, Catherine Hepburn turned around to see her pick it up. She was in a bend back picking it up in her mouth, which was one of the tricks she used to do when she was a young girl as a contortionist. <laughs> <laughs> strange family, strange. They were all they were all characters. Those people in the vaudeville era of that of that time. Well, you know, Gloria at the Tivoli, starting to work with people like George Wallace and Jim Gerald, Queenie Paul, Roy Reen. Mm, yeah. And it, it, That's an extraordinary grounding to sort of work with, well, with she, other performers of that ilk. Well, she, her grounding was before that. She'd been there for years, mm. you know, as a yeah, child. Yeah, so even by the, the, mm. the age of 12 and 13, mm. she mm. carried a lot mm. of experience with it. That's right. So, um, yeah, she, she did work a, a lot of her life at the Tivoli. Yeah. It had a golden rule. That she never worked blue That's right. or nude. That's right. 
think that's a pretty good rule to go. Yeah. yeah. Shirley Temple imitations? Yeah, apparently they had that um, in uh, at the, the movie houses. Um, they'd be they'd have shows at interval and, and as far as I've been told and if there was a Shirley Temple movie on they'd have mum sing a Shirley Temple song at interval dressed and looking like Shirley Temple how ridiculous is that I think that's kind of silly (laughs) but anyway the virtual Shirley (laughs) Temple there Um, yes it is quite extraordinary Mm. the Shirley you have when you're not having a Shirley that's right it seemed rather strange when I heard that but uh, Gloria was also a brilliant mimic. She could impersonate anything or anyone. Yes, this is when they started. To, uh, I've heard these stories too that um, uh, she would mimic certain stars that were in shows because a lot of those shows, the uh, variety shows at the Tivoli, were imported stars, and um, so she would end up mimicking them. And uh, I think that's where the producers of those shows could start to see that. She was developing a comedic side to her, and um, I, I think that's how it all had started to appear for her to get into those the next roles, which were feeding the comedians, as as we call the them, feed, the, the yeah. feed, and then doing the sketches and things like that. And um, I think all because she was a cheeky little thing, mimicking people behind their back. <laughs> <laughs> She had the most extraordinary skill of whistling. There's a wonderful clip on YouTube where she's singing and then she bursts into a, a whistling solo. It's amazing the mastery she has over that as almost an instrument. Where did that come from? Well, that was just something else she could do. But if when I think about it, um, and if you, you've, you do so much homework, you're fantastic. But you will see that that was something that they did in that era. And she just honed in on it and became fabulous at it. So you, you, you'll see a, an Al Jolson movie and you'll see him whistle a chorus of a song. When, uh, it was something that they did, but not everyone was very good at it. But my mother seemed to be seemed to work on it so she was fabulous it was like an instrument and she'd her if she'd whistle if she'd sing a chorus and then whistle a chorus it was like a jazz break like a like a musician would do a jazz break in the middle of it and she would do that with her whistling i know it was fabulous Well, this is one of those songs that you hear now and then. You don't know just where, and you don't know just when. It's one of those songs that are over and then. It's one of those songs that starts playing again. Oh, yes, it's one of those songs that you hear for a while. That comes into fashion, then goes out of style. It's one of those songs that you think you forgot. But it's one of those songs you cannot. Yes, it is one of those songs that can help you recall a walk in the springtime, a day in the fall, a night in the country, a day on the town, the sun coming up, or the rain pouring down, or it's the evening you parted, the night that you met, the love of your life you can never ever forget. The reason is simple, your memory belongs to one of those wonderful songs. Thank you. 
Was it, was it tough growing up the daughter of Gloria Dawn? Look, it wasn't tough. Um, it was tough not growing up with, with her. But once she went my, to heaven, it became tough for me being Gloria Dawn's daughter. Because there was a constant comparison or, yes, or expectation? Yes, yeah. mm. uh, I remember at, I was only... Well, I still had her then. So, yes, it did happen before but not as much as when she went to heaven. But I remember once I was only a young girl, I was in the show Fiddler on the Roof, and um, a, a senior person came up to me and said, are you Gloria Dawn's daughter? And I said, yes, I am, being very uh, well ma- well-mannered mm. and coy, and, and, you know, we was not allowed... We, we, I came from that era of children were allowed to be seen and not heard but um, at this stage I was now performing and I was very proud to say yes yes she's my mother and his next uh, the next thing that came out of his mouth was well you'll never be as good as your mother and it just I'm still talking about it today I'll never forget that that I, I didn't even consider that to be a problem for me I was just going to go into the business and follow in in my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents footsteps but when but that, carve your own niche your carve own my own niche mm. but when that was th- thrown up at me you'll never be as good as your mother uh really floored me and um and nothing it didn't worry me for a few years and as i say once she passed away they um they would compare me all the time to her and um that wasn't very easy. I didn't enjoy that, but um, I did carve out my own niche, and so of course she did. Yes, indeed, <laughs> indeed. Nineteen forty-seven. She marries um, Frank Patrick Cleary, mm-hmm. um, a variety artist, a juggler, in fact. Yeah. Yes. How, how did they meet? Do you know? Um, at the Tivoli, and um, uh, yes, he was a juggler there at the Tivoli, and that's how it happens. You know how it happens. You meet somebody. You meet someone. Say hello. <laughs> say good day. <laughs> Yeah, and um, yeah, they went on to to be a happily married showbiz couple in a house in Rosebury, and uh, apparently that was your mother's very first house that she ever lived in permanently. It was actually. This is something that sounds so far removed from how we all live today. But when they married, um, they knew that that was their life it was to be in showbiz. Him being a juggler and her her being a performer, a variety performer. Um, they Their first home, their, our home was a caravan. And it wasn't it wasn't unusual, really, for performers to live in caravans, show people that travelled with the tent shows and things. So we all lived in, we lived in caravans. But by the time we were teenagers, I remember my father saying to my mother, I think we need to get a bigger caravan. And I remember her saying, no, 
I think we need to get a house. <laughs> so that was the time that they chose Sydney to be their their uh, place uh, to to what what their the, their, their base, base yeah. their base. And uh, so that was their first, yeah, that was their first house. So they separated later on. Yeah. But but never got the divorce. No. That was obviously because of mum's respect for Catholicism. That's and, it. And what's yes, yeah. that's right. So she, yes, she was a... As a matter of fact, I can refer to the Catholicism again because I went to... I was about 18 and I I was with uh, the Rudis organisation and I went... I was asked to go over to the Far East, as we called it then, um, Hong Kong and Japan and all those places that they'd send those review shows to. And um, Mum let me go under the condition that I would still go to Mass every Sunday over there. So... I had to find out that there was a Catholic church somewhere in Honkers, as we call it, Hong Kong, and there was. So um, I managed to fit in going to Mass every Sunday over there and then going to the nightclubs and working in the little little brief little outfits and at 1 and one and 2 o'clock in the morning, and, and, uh, but I still went to Mass every Sunday. So Keeping up your part of the bargain. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That was the deal. Were Mum and Dad happy about... Uh, you're you're going into showbiz and, and carving out a career. Well, I can honestly say my mother didn't encourage it one bit. As a matter of fact, the last school that I went to, uh, which was Mount Carmel at Waterloo, just down the road from where we are now, um, it uh, was a school that taught shorthand and typing to young girls, and she always said that's a great idea that you've got that for something to fall back on. And um, she didn't encourage me at all. I think I've told you this before. I remember any of these shows that I got in, she, would, she wouldn't accompany me to the auditions or drive me there. I have to catch the buses. And Even when I was a little girl, I was a nine-year-old when I did a couple of J.C. Williamson's shows, one being Sail Away, written by Noel Coward, and a revival of Annie Get Your Gun. And I had to... Um, I, I was learning dancing at the time from Estelle Anderson here in Sydney and she mentioned to all the kids that um, there were going to be auditions for a show coming up at Her Majesty's Theatre and I told my mum and um, she said oh that's if you want to go you can go and I, I we were living out at Mascot then in a caravan and a, uh, a friend of ours who was also a juggler um, uh, in his backyard. We had the caravan set up in the backyard and, and um, we had access to laundries and things. And uh, so I got up that morning and went to the auditions after I'd caught two buses to the Her Majesty's Theatre that was there in Key Street in the city. And um, anyway, I got into the show. And so I came home and told her and she said, oh, that's that's very good. She didn't really encouraged me at all until she realised I think this is what she's going to do and I ended up doing an act with her called Gloria Dawn and Friend but by that time I was 21 or something and Friend I know she called the act (laughs) Gloria Dawn and Friend and I've never forgiven her to this day that um, I didn't get my title, which is Gloria Dawn and Donna Lee. <laughs> she even at the end of the act... Well, it was, look, what happened was I used to come out of the audience. I was a stooge and I'd come out of the audience 
and um, so I suppose she wanted to try and keep that you know as as much a secret as possible that I wasn't part of the act until I got up but even at the end of the act I didn't get my title she'd say ladies and gentlemen I'd like to introduce you to my daughter I still get still didn't get my title Donna Lee but you know it now don't you absolutely you know Donna Lee indeed indeed do you think that was her way of um ensuring that you earned your stripes that yes you, your head didn't get too big before yes or your head didn't get not before anything else but your head didn't get too big that yes. your, your feet remained firmly definitely. on the ground yes definitely yes she was very very strong with that she just I don't know why she just would could not stand the fact that I might get carried away with myself and look and who knows maybe that was the way that Zilla mm worked worked with her or, mm. or trained her mm. but it was it was very very strong that that attitude of don't don't think that you're you know too smart for yourself just because you can sing and dance anyway and of course um, an enormous career in the musical theater uh, tommy trinder who uh, she worked with in uh, a starry production of of cinderella said of Gloria that she was a great artist. Had she gone to England or America, she would have been a world star. I know, isn't that wonderful? That yeah. they, that Lots of people have said this about her. Um, later on, she ended up in a production of Annie Get Your Gun, where uh, they brought out an American director to direct it, and he said the same thing. And then uh, she did another show, and then another English director, and they said the same thing. And... Many people said that about her, but she was just happy to stay here and and be a mum and, and a terrific star of us in Australia. Mm. Uh, I just to share with the listener, but again, before we started recording this conversation, uh, Donna shared with me um, a, a recording from that production, a very famous production of Gypsy and uh, Rose's Turn. I got goosebumps listening to that. I mean, it was a crackly old recording, but you could hear how brilliant the woman was. Yeah, I really believe that her interpretation of that role was very different from anybody I've seen. She was had the had the strength that all performers have to have a, a very strong character in there with that role, but. There was also the vulnerability that I would see, and and you can hear, especially when she does Rose's turn, and also when she sings "Funny," that beautiful song that a lot of people still do a sort of a, a belting version of. But you could hear that perhaps there was a woman inside there that was a a, a loving woman, but she was just just wanted to be a star and if even if it meant that she had to live that stardom through a daughter she she would do it that way but but um as I say I I, I'm talking about my beautiful mum and I loved watching her I was in the wings every night watching her do it but I even when I was young I could see oh there she is she's she is a mum and she's she has got that lovely um quality of of a mother that cares about some other people other than herself.
production of Gypsy, as you just said. Um, uh, Hollywood Blonde, is that right? I was uh, Agnes, the Hollywood. Yes, Agnes, the Hollywood Blonde. Of course, you were the, mm. the, the character mm. role. Yeah. Isn't yes, it? I really would have loved to have played um, uh, Dainty, Dainty June. June. Yeah. I understudied Dainty June, but um, that's a whole other story. Did you ever go on as Dainty no, June? No, never right. got on. Yeah. Did you get to do a, a run with uh, your mother? No, 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 didn't get to do that. But um, but I was there. At least I was there for Mum because that's the time when she did become quite ill during the that the run of the show Gypsy, and um, so it was lucky that I was there to be there to help her. When she started to get ill, were you able to observe that, or did she? keep it from from everyone she, she kept it from private. everyone yeah she kept ev- so no one really knew how ill she was not even really not even me not even her family she was one of those people that she's she was a very private person but even to the point of of not letting us know that what the extent of her illness was but of the generation too that where the show must go on and, and i've heard stories that you know she would be vomiting in the wings and then going on back on stage and, and doing the show, delivering it to the to the audience. That That's an absolutely true story. And um, I don't tell many people that because they, they must think, why would somebody be that, that compelled to be sick but still want to carry on with the show but was just in her veins? Yes, what's in the performer's psyche isn't it that the show must go on that there's you know there could be a couple of thousand people out front that have paid to see you uh the show you know she was the leading lady mm. um leading the company um of performers and, and backstage people there's a tremendous amount of responsibility i guess that that she felt that that she needed to deliver but also you know there's the ego of the performer as well and gets i'm not going to let this beat me dr footlights will carry me through that's absolutely true and it does but um, if you do tell people nowadays that story, often I do get mixed reactions because th- that that feeling isn't there as much anymore as the show, the show must go on doesn't seem to apply as much as it did. There is still an element there, but once upon a time that was it. The show must go on, and the, my mother was a perfect example of it. Sick and all, she. She'd get up there and give it her all, and it it does. It, it is true. Doctor Footlights comes into it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Takes over, and you'd never know. But yes, it's a shame that sort of that idea has sort of slowly disappe- disappeared. And well, no doubt that's in your DNA as well. I ha- I still have that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I do. Yes, <laughs> I admit it. I've been not too well at. St- at certain stages and still go on and as we've said for for that moment while you're up there I remember I was on a ship and oh I was we went through a typhoon and it was the the time that I would I I did a lot of dancing in my act I even acrobated in my act and I was so sick on that cruise in 10 days I lost 10 pounds of weight Uh, but once I got up and did my act I'd, I wasn't sick I can't believe it I even did a standing flip <laughs> when I was feeling so ill but as soon as I came off the same thing happened to me I had to run and be sick yeah. it's um I don't know I I think we're stupid 
I think we're silly, actually. You, I don't know why the show must go on. I, I don't understand it. It's a beautiful silliness. Mm. <laughs> Gloria made her musical comedy debut in Little Nelly Kelly and Sonny for Will Mahoney at the Cremorne in, it would have been Brisbane, wouldn't it, in 1949? Yeah, well, I've, I've seen pictures of that because I wasn't born there, but I've seen uh, the programs and um, that would have been terrific for her to, to go into Sonny and um, play that role as opposed to being in those reviews at the Tivoli. Now it was stepping into the music musical comedy theatre. And, um, yeah, so I, I wonder how she wonder how she handled it. You know, I, I would have loved to have seen her there doing that, but as I say, I wasn't born then. <laughs> in uh, 1959, she joined Garnet H. Carroll in his production of Once Upon a Mattress, playing the role that was uh, coveted by a lot of actresses, but, but made famous by uh, Carol Burnett on Broadway. You know, that's my earliest memory of me seeing my mother perform. And I was, it was at the Princess Theatre in Melbourne that's that right. she played yeah. that role. And I, I remember, it's very vivid, as I say, my first memory of Mum as a performing on stage. So I was quite young, but I remember her playing the, the role of the princess and climbing up that ladder, uh, trying to get to bed to sleep and uh, hearing the whole audience. I think it would be a 2,200-seater 2, 2, or something mm. at the princess theatre. Yeah. And 2,000 people roaring with laughter, roaring, you know, and uh, me as a little girl looking around and feeling some uh, an enormous amount of pride to think that my mother could make two, 2,000 people laugh like that, hysterically. Yeah. Um, I, it was just, a, it's, a, it's a terrific pantomime scene where she's so tired and she's trying to get up up the ladder and her foot slips through the rungs and then she finally makes it's a fantastic comedic role as you say carol burnett played the role it was a very sort of um lucille ball type a bit of work to do there climbing up that ladder pantomime stuff she was fabulous and i just remember thinking how clever is she that she can make everyone laugh like that She's not like that at home. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it just goes to show that the vastness of her, um, her range, you know, as a great a tragedian in roles like Mother Courage, in which she could really move an audience to tears, to, you know, having the convulsive laughter with a role like Princess Winifred in uh, Once Upon a Mattress. It seems some people are just born to be performers, don't you think? Mm. To be actors, to be singers, to be musicians, some... She was just someone who was born to be an all-round performer. She joined uh, J.C. Williamson's also and toured in a play called The Amorous Prawn. I wonder what that was about. I have no idea. I know I was um, I was a little girl when that one was happening and I do remember that people would say, oh, your mother's in a straight play. I don't know. I think it might have been a comedy with a name like that. It would have to be... You would think so, wouldn't you? But when they say straight play, they probably meant that she didn't sing a song, didn't sing a note in yeah. the show. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. But um, uh, uh, the amorous prawn. We must look that up and find out what that was all about. It's funny that term, straight play, isn't it? Because um, yes, it does. <laughs> I should just say a non-musical. Or, but then that's sort of not giving the, the appropriate recognition to a to a drama, to a play. So that's right. So. Uh, 
Because you know, a lot of plays are hard, far from straight. I mean, some are very cab. <laughs> it's true. I didn't think of it that way, Peter. Yes. So, mm. yeah, no, very funny. Mm. Um, when you're in a theatre, you know, your mum having been uh, a, an actor, because um, I know that you've, you, you know, the, the bond between a, a mother and a child is very, very strong, and I know how special Gloria is to you, that you, you still carry memories of her with you. But when you're performing in a theatre, do you sense, have a sense of your mum being around with you? you know, because I absolutely do. Yeah. I know that it might sound strange, but I absolutely do. I've, I've felt it many times. I felt it once she passed away. I, I, I was lucky enough to get a show not long after she went to heaven called Oklahoma. And I played the role of Ado Annie. And I am sure that she was there with me on my shoulder when I, when I was finding that character, and um, I felt it again in a, uh, in many times. And I'm hoping to feel it again. I'm just about to go into a musical called Hairspray, and it's a little, it's another one of those little character roles that I'll be playing, and I'm sure I'll feel her presence helping me and guiding me. And I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. Where is Hairspray playing? Hairspray will open in Melbourne at the Princess... Oh, what am I saying, the Princess? At the Regent Theatre. The Regent. So did Gloria ever play the Regent? No, not that I know of. Um, it's always been a picture theatre as far yeah, as I've Yeah, I guess known. it well, would have been a cinema, yeah, when mm. she was uh, treading the boards. Yes. Because um, they say most theatres have ghosts. Wouldn't it be lovely to know that mm. Gloria was... Um, I'm sure if I ever get a chance to work back at Her Majesty's in Melbourne... Her ghost will be there with me in the dressing room. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's the home to a favourite theatre to a lot of performers. Oh, it's my yeah. favourite theatre, and I know she loved that theatre. And we've got um, the wonderful Mike Walsh to thank for um, oh, restoring that and keeping it alive. Isn't he gorgeous that he's kept that going? And it, it's looking better than ever too. He's done so much renovation and refurbishment to it. It looks gorgeous. We're so lucky to have that. And, well, all those theatres in Melbourne are wonderful. We've got a couple of good ones up here too, but but Sydney had a period of just destroying all the theatres, oh, didn't they? Some, some person came up with this great idea of pull the theatres down. I don't know why they thought that was a good idea. No. But anyway. There are temples. There are temples. Mm, mm. Ah. Now, of course, Gypsy wasn't the first time that your mother played a character called Rose. No, you're going to talk about the sentimental bloke. Yeah. Yes, she played that. And that was a musical, an Australian musical, that, as you know, they're very far and few between. Well, I think it's one of um, the longest-running Australian musicals. It was. At at that stage, it was the longest Australian, fully written Australian musical uh, it, it ran for so long. I remember uh, we were touring with it. I, we were still we were in the caravan, as I told you before. We all lived in caravans, and um, my father was also in the show. So um, uh, I remember touring all over the place with uh, the sentimental bloke. And as I, I say, I'm very lucky because I was watching all of this going on, wasn't I? I was watching my parents perform and. I was learning things that I didn't even know I was learning. It's um, I'm so lucky. Well, not only your parents, but uh, there would have been a number of performers 
around at that time of, of their ilk, who they were professional colleagues with, and perhaps friends, and and all that sort of thing. Absolutely. That, that you could that you knew and you were learning from. Um, who were some of those people? Oh, um, there was a, a, a there were a lot of people that they they've all gone today too. They're all up in heaven there with with mum. Um, I remember my father's good friend, best friend actually, was a, a fellow called Keith Peterson. Oh yeah, yeah. and um, he was um, played Hines in that original Australian production of the Pajama Game. That's him. That's him. And he went on to do other things other than well, he was a, a vaudevillian performer. He did straight plays, and he did straight plays. <laughs> he was in the Odd Couple. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was it was um, a, an era of. Um, a different era, mm. very different, and very lucky that um, uh, you had that opportunity to learn in the vaudeville variety area. And if you did have those, that, that extra little quality, it gave you that that stepping stone to get into the next area of the theatre, which was there used to be a pecking order, you know, the the, the vari- vaudeville variety. Musical theatre, straight theatre, yeah. opera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the stepping order. Um, following uh, Gypsy, um, Gloria's Cancer went into remission for a while and she was able to do a, a few more shows, uh, amongst them the Thripney Opera. That's right. She, she did that at the Opera House, I Playing, think. Yeah, mm. Mrs Peacham. That's right. I don't think it was one of her best roles, I don't think. Because um, she wasn't probably because she wasn't full of beans, and full of beans, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, um, what, I wasn't quite sure what that was all about. But, um, but yes, it was it was a time when she was in remission, and um, she did go on to do a couple of other things after that. But she, 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 was, she did that young Mo, uh, played by Stephen <laughs> J. Spears, which was harking back to her vaudeville roots. She played Quenny Paul. It's so funny because when she worked in the, the vaudeville variety world, there was a star called Queenie Paul, and there she was years later. Uh, well, when Mum was working with Queenie Paul, who was a, one of the stars, Mum was a Sue Brett at the time, and uh, there she was years later playing that star that she worked with called Queenie Paul. She, she sang a beautiful song called When I Lost You. It's, I think that's the name of it, a very old, lovely old ballad that she sang. And every time uh, I hear her sing a ballad, I really... Um, you, you forget that she's that comedian that she is. She, she seems to be able to really turn the corner there and... And that show, um, Young Mo, which was a fabulous play and fabulous people in that play and, and it was all about Roy Reen, Mo, and uh, lots of, uh, of comedy in there and then in, in amongst it all was this uh, character called Queenie Paul who sang, which was played by Mum, who sang that lovely song and all of a sudden for a little moment we had that lovely pathos in there as as well. That was a show with the the Nimrod Theatre. Mm. She certainly got around the country, didn't she, and played a variety of stages and theatres and, and with various theatre companies. Absolutely. She was one of the few that did, uh, had a very wide range, you know, 
she it, 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 she was in tent shows. She was on the radio. She was in musicals. She and, was and indeed film. I, she, I wish she'd done a few films. more films. You know, she was in the Mango Tree with with Robert Helpman and Geraldine Fitzgerald and. And that wonderful, iconic Australian film, They're a Weird Mob. Yes, that, that, she was cute in that. She had a little role in that where she played the cleaner. Yeah, a, 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 the cleaner of a, a building that the fellow was sleeping in. And, um, no, she was, yeah, she did a, she managed to pop up everywhere and make a living, a very good living out of being uh, an all-round performer. On television, she, she worked with Tony Hancock and... Um, the TV series Boney, Hello Hollywood with Normie Rowe, and was also a, a semi-regular on Blankety Blanks with Graham Kennedy. Yes, she pops up on, on that at, at the moment. They keep running those at early hours of the morning. If you're ever up late and you turn it on, you, there you you see all those lovely performers, um, um, Peggy Mortimer and Noel, Enzo Tapano, Enzo Tapano, Noel Ferrier, Noel Ferrier, and Gloria Dawn, there she is with Graham Kennedy. And Johnny Lockwood. Yes, they, yeah. was, they were. They were. Uh, they were fabulous, and and I do. I see her there at Blankety Blank sometimes at three o'clock in the morning. Got a bit sentimental, because you know she did go far too soon. You know she was only forty nine when Mum went to heaven. Only forty nine. Mm, mm. When she got the opportunity to really really show her stuff or she had many opportunities to do that but the quintessential role that every every music theatre person wants to play is the role of Mama Rose in Gypsy and she got that role and it was so exciting it was fantastic and by that stage I was really um, you know I really realised how good my mother was because when you're young you just know that that's what she does for a living but when you're starting to become the woman that I have become you notice that hang on she's that's not just what she does for a living she's pretty good at this you know and she's shown that she can adapt to all different different sorts of things but um and she finally got this role that was going to be really make a mark and and which she did but unfortunately as fate would have it that's when we found out she wasn't well at all and Mm, gone too soon when I think of Gloria and and the the, the roles that she played, um, the stories that are told, the, the audio that I've heard, I imagine a very statuesque, strongly built woman. Woman, but apparently she was only five foot one. That's right, tiny. She she was very tiny, but that often happens with um, those strong women performers. You, you They're able to project yes, a big yes, personality. Yes. But you know what? I'm talking about her and all the work she does. Uh, she did, and she was fantastic. I, I, I'm one of her biggest fans, of course. But um, she was uh, one of the most down-to-earth people at home. You know, we weren't allowed to uh, to really gloat about all of this because this is what she did for a living. That was her job. That yeah. was her Day job. job. Yeah. Even to the point where... It, it was quite funny, actually. Um, she would work, as we know, in, in all different spheres of the entertainment business. Like at one stage when she wasn't doing a musical, she was doing her act in the clubs. And often, you know, you'd see people that would wait for her when they'd know she was going to be on. They'd make it their business to be at the club, you know. And the people are the real 
working class people that would come to see Gloria Dawn at the clubs. Well, one day, it, one Christmas, uh, you'd see um, you'd see uh, Mum put out a little present for the for the Garbos. You know, that was a, a thing that people used to do once. Mm. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. My, my parents used to Your do it as well. Parents did Leave it out a few long necks, mm. beers for the, the, mm. <laughs> the garbage That's men at Christmas. Right. Yeah, yeah. And she'd often do that each for, for the Garbos. And, um, of course, they would always say, thank you, thank you, Mrs Cleary, as they drove off. Thank you for that. See you later, Mrs Cleary. Merry Christmas. Well, it wasn't much later than that that Mrs Cleary was on... At the local club and um, when they announced her uh, they said ladies and gentlemen please put your hands together for the glorious Gloria Dawn and she ran out to do her opening number and those garbos were in the audience and went oh look at that it's Mrs Cleary (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um, she she was the most down to earth performer that that I, I know of Actually, to, to tell you the truth, she wasn't really theatrical at all off she stage. Knit backstage. She was a right? knitter. That's yeah. right. She yeah. wasn't a real theatrical. Theatrical. That's for sure. Was she superstitious in theatre? No. You know, in in real life, she was a very private person. She was tough. She was a, a um, you know, a pretty tough mother. You know, she wouldn't stand for too much mucking around and. You know, she was not um, very different from the person you saw on the stage, that's for sure. She yeah. was tough. She was tough on me. What advice did she give you about a career, a life on the stage? Um, she wasn't, as, I, as I've told you before, she wasn't that encouraging because she could see that... It's one of the most heartbreaking businesses you could ever go into. You know, in saying that, there are some people that don't know those heartbreaks. But 99 out of 100 do. (laughs) And unless you're that one, you're going to be one of those people that are going to be heartbroken. And I guess being a mum, she didn't want me to go into a business that is, you know, often you're rejected and and you you've come away feeling sad about so um the only thing she suggested to me what to do was to have something to fall back on look in the end when i was younger i was always saying i was going to be on the stage i was going to do this I was going to do and um she discouraged me but in the end she was she was quite she encouraged me a lot in fact i ended up doing an act with her i think i've told you that before yeah Gloria Dawn and Friend. Gloria Dawn and Friend. See, she didn't even give me my title, Gloria Dawn and Donnelly. Well, Donnelly, thank you for being back on stages. And uh, in this 300th episode where we've been able to um, walk down memory lane uh, with one of Australia's greatest performers, uh, Gloria Dawn. Thank you for letting me talk about her. And I didn't want to get too sad and sentimental about it. I think you've done well because I know that you love her very much and uh, as did her adoring public. Mm. Um, we're going to go out with a very special song, um, which which uh, sums up her her life on the stage. Um, do you want to set it up for us? I can tell you. Uh, I think I know the song you're going to play. And I was with her at the time she did this. She performed this song, 
And it was when uh, she was in the show Gypsy playing Mama Rose, the Mike Walsh show was very popular at the time and they did a publicity, uh, they did a, a number from the show to publicise the show and it was with two other stars on the show. Um, the number was wherever, together wherever we go. And uh, she was starting to show that she wasn't too well at that stage. But, of course, nobody knew. Only, um, you know, as, as we've talked about before, she was such a trooper and that, that the sawdust all the, was in her blood that, that you just have to perform no matter what. The show must go on. So she wasn't too well that day and I actually drove her to the, to the studio and drove her home and uh, uh, they realised that they had a few minutes left to fill, to fill on, the, on the show that day. And they were running around saying, oh, what, what, what can we do? Gloria, have you got another song you can do? And she said, yes. And she turned to Jeff Harvey. Not on screen. They, she, they, she did this about two minutes before she went on. Commercial break. Commercial break. She said, yes, we'll just do couple of choruses of this particular number in in G and um and I'll do the slow version there and then we'll come up there with the thing and we'll do the big finish and and that's what she came up with what you're just about to play she was fantastic is appealing everything that traffic will allow nowhere do you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow there's no people like show people they you know will fold you may be stranded out in the cold still you wouldn't change it for a sack of 